Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my lovely wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different hobbies, and we try to force them upon each other with the latest book and sports news. I was going to figure out if you were going to get that one out of there or not, but yep, got it. I got trapped in my throat. Yeah, words can do that sometimes. And the sports episode was kind of short, but I have the feeling this episode is not going to be that short. Oh, well, that's news to me because my notes are shorter than they normally are, so... But it's dense stuff that my notes include, so I don't you know. You read a third of the Harry Potter book you're currently reading, so yeah, it's probably a lot to talk about. Yeah. But we're going to start out with the book news. So a rare copy of Shakespeare's first folio was sold for almost $10 million this week. Oof. Which makes it the most expensive work of literature to ever be auctioned. Like, I understand why, but ouch. It was originally published in 1623 by Shakespeare's friends, so actors John Heminge and Henry Condell. It was formally titled Comedies, Histories, and Tragedies because that's what the plays were about. It includes 36 plays and was published shortly after his death. And so 18 out of the 36, so half of them, had never been published before this complete works sort of thing got published. That's craziness. Yeah. So around 750 copies were in like that first round of printing or whatever they did. The first editions, basically. Yeah. But only 235 were known to have survived out of that 750. So that's 1625 craftsmanship for you there. Well, that's a long time ago, too. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest. Like, you know, I always freak out when people are like, well, my my appliance lasted 35 years. I'm like, well, that was good craftsmanship then. But like, yeah, what do you expect from 1625 if it's still in pieces together? That's phenomenal. Yeah. But of those 235 surviving copies, only 56 are considered to be complete. So I guess maybe they're missing sections or plays or some sort of thing. Right. And most are held by institutions in the U.S. and the U.K. I'm assuming by institutions, this article means like museums or things like that. Yeah, like major university libraries and something. Yeah. And this copy is one of five to be in private hands. So not some museum or specialty library or something to own it. Now I don't understand why it was $10 million. If there's five of them floating around out there, it's like not really... Is it that special anymore? Like I think it's really special and I don't think $10 million is undervaluing it. I think with the 51 other copies existing in the world, just not in private hands, I think that might drive the cost down a little. Right. But I don't think it... I just, I can't imagine spending $10 million on a piece of literature that, in all honesty, you're never going to read. But if you had it, how cool would it be? I would be afraid to own that. That needs, like, a special room in a, and a special box in that special so room. So you would treat it like an autographed jersey, basically. You'd, like, put it in its own little uh, specialty place would, where it just never could be touched by anybody. It would get, like, special security. It would get, like, a special <laughs> room and a special box with its own sort of humidifier and, like, its own whatever in the <laughs> AC system. Like, I cannot imagine cannot imagine that is insane and like the way i love books i think isn't the same way that the guy who paid 10 million dollars for that loves books like i love books to read them and spend time with them and enjoy them i don't buy books to 
have them on display. Right. Like, my first editions of Harry Potter, the U.S. editions that I got as they were coming out, fell apart because I had read them so many times. The books literally were falling out. Pages were falling out of my hand as I was reading. You made me replace them. Yeah. So, like, I enjoy reading. I enjoy my time spent reading. I can't imagine buying a book just because it's rare. Yeah. Especially knowing I could never read it. You, you probably could once, but you'd have to be in a... Like, I, I don't even know how to do that. And that is just like, you'd probably put creases into it and stuff like that. Like, it would be awful. To even handle it, you probably need specialty gloves and, like, special, like, surgical layout of the table. Everything's been sanitized <laughs> and cleaned and dried and everything's set. I can't imagine. Yeah. It'd be pretty weird. That's for sure. But Amazon Studios is adapting Yoko Ogawa's novel, The Memory Police. And the team behind the adaptation includes The Handmaid's Tale director, Reed Morano, and scriptwriter, Charlie Kaufman. Okay. The book was originally published in Japan in 1994, but was recently translated to English. The novel is set on a Japanese island where people mysteriously forget about objects and where there is the memory police who are committed to make sure those objects remain forgotten. So it sounds pretty sinister. It's like once you forget it, these guys come in and just take whatever it is so you never remember it again? I don't know how it works. But since its translation into English, the novel has received a lot of praise, including a nomination for a World Fantasy Award. That sounds important. Well, it's got the word world in it, so it sounds like it. Yeah. The adaptation is still in the early stages, with no cast or expected release date. Pretty early on with that one still. It sounds like stuff that's been done since this book originally came out. Like, it sounds like movies I've seen or TV shows were kind of 1984-esque, but with a weird twist on it. Could be interesting. Yeah. Amazon's coming out with a lot of stuff. They're starting to pull Netflix where they're just, like, making everything right now. Yeah. I'm not shocked. It's pretty easy to do if you just take stories that are already written. That's a whole other conversation. And you pump billions of dollars into the industry for it. I mean, I don't know that they're pumping that much money into it, but... For the shows they're making totally, yeah. Easy. But they're probably raking in even more than that, so... They're making way more money than they're spending, that's for sure, but... I'm surprised that it only recently got translated, because normally it doesn't take that long for something to get translated into English if it does well in another country, so I don't know what that was about. Yeah, that is kind of strange. But I don't read a lot of translated works, because I think a lot of things get lost lost in in the translation, and so me not being someone who can speak other languages fluently... I'm sort of limited in my scope for translated works. Right. But it does sound really good. Yeah, it does. I might check out the show. Yeah. If I can get over the fact that it's Amazon. Yeah, and then after that, maybe you go check out the book if the show's good. Which is the opposite way you should do it, by the way. That is normally what I think, but I think when it comes to things that have been translated, I think if you do the show or the movie or whatever it is first, you kind of have a better understanding when you first go into it, so maybe you're not losing as much in the translation as you would otherwise. Probably. Yeah, that, that makes some sense. And there is another celebrity writing another memoir, because we... That's what celebrities do? Apparently, it's <laughs> what we need, I guess. 
It's most definitely not what we need, but it is something that happens a lot. So, Matthew McConaughey has a new memoir called Green Lights. Oh, I was hoping it was all right, all right, all right. Yeah. That would have been fantastic. He should have named it that. So, as of two days prior to this episode is when the book comes out. Okay. It'll be out by the time the episode comes out on October 20th is the book's release date. I just think it's weird that he is writing a memoir about himself after he's just been an actor. Then he was a television commercial actor for Lincoln for the longest time. And now he is a professor at the University of Texas. He's a professor. It blows my mind that he's a professor. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, books and being a professor kind of go together, right? And I think think that's why he took that next step. He's like, listen, like, I teach higher education of things now and... Next thing on my to-do list, a book. You know, like, that, that. it only makes sense, I guess, to an extent. Yeah. The book aims to set the record straight on how the public perceives him, I guess. We have a misunderstanding of Matthew McConaughey, according to Matthew McConaughey. And his penchant for a certain plant. Just say that. Yeah. Because I guess there was an incident that I don't remember, but... That doesn't mean anything. It probably happened. Where he was playing bongos in the nude while having fun with a certain plant and he got arrested. Yep, it's the thing that happens. Apparently, this is the first time I'm hearing about this event, so that tells you everything you need to know about me personally. Well, like, realistically, in almost every movie that he's been in, like, he's he's a good actor when he wants to be, but there's always that moment of, like, he was probably high when he shot that. <laughs> like... That one scene, you're just like, yeah, I well, can see that that would be a possibility. Do we want to dissect everyone's acting and discuss whether they no. were high when they were shooting? Because then you're really going to be disenfranchised with the whole movie watching thing, I think. <laughs> to say the least. But, like, it, it's just kind of his, I don't know, image is kind of what it's become, which is kind of sad. Well, that's and that's, the case. that's why he wrote this book, I feel like. So yeah. he can say, listen up. There's more to me than just pot. Yeah, but he also discusses his Texas um, upbringing. Yeah. Which I didn't know he was from Texas, so... I know nothing about Matthew McConaughey. Or Texas, as it turns out. (laughs) As an Oklahoman, that makes a lot of sense. Right? I try to avoid (laughs) everything Texas. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know. This could either be, like, a really funny type of book, or it would just be something that I wouldn't want to read. Like, it's either one of those, but, like, nothing in between. I might actually go and read it. I feel like it might be interesting. Just because, again, as an actor, Matthew McConaughey has played a lot of roles. And he's played them very, very well. And I'd love to just kind of see the ins and outs of that. Like, twisted up with, like, why he thinks he has this bad rap of using drugs. Probably because he was using drugs and then got arrested for it, maybe. Right. But, again, that comes out this Tuesday, so two days before this episode comes out. Perfect. And Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was working with one of her former clerks on publishing a novel before she passed away. I should correct myself. It's not a novel. It's a book. Novels are, like, fictionalized. This one is a nonfiction. Gotcha. The book was originally slated for publication in fall of 2021, but has now been moved up to March of 2021. And now, of course, it's being published posthumously, and it's going to be called Justice, Justice, Thou Shalt Pursue, A Life's Work Fighting for a More Perfect Union. 
Now, do you think the title came, was derived after, or do you think she actually came I, up with that title? Because it's, it's. I a think long... she had something to do with it. It seems like the word choice is very. Um, Judgy. I was gonna say older. Yeah. Not mature per se, but it's an older style of speech, and the title is very long. If I. That I was feel my like with it. if a younger person was coming up with this title, it wouldn't have been that long. Yeah, it seems. A little long and convoluted to an extent, I guess. Like, it's just a lot to it. Right. And most people our age wouldn't have a repeated word in a title, I think. So I think it was her choice for what she wanted to call the book. And it's going to showcase her perspective on her own legacy, her opinions written as a Supreme Court justice, and her personal life. Okay. If you like RBG and you like the sort of partially fictionalized documentary sort of film they've done for her, then this might be up your alley as well. Yeah, and she was an interesting woman to say the least. Like, God, the amount of things that she brought to the society based on her votes is a lot. Well, and that's part of the reason they're going to discuss some of her opinions that she wrote for the Supreme Court because they were decisive things and important things. And how long was she even on the Supreme Court? I feel like... Forever. A long time. So a lot of the things that are still impacting us today are probably going to be written about in that novel. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like every time they put somebody on the Supreme Court, they get younger and younger and younger. So they can be on there longer and longer and longer. Yeah. But let's not go into that. That'll be a fire starter right there. Yeah, this isn't a politics show. This is uh, books. <laughs> and the last thing I have for the book news is the adaptation for Dune has been pushed back to October 1st of 2021. So almost a full year delayed. That was a movie, right? Not a TV series? I believe it's a movie. Okay, that's what I thought. Because they're talking about the box office in the article I was reading. Yeah. It's assumed that this is based off COVID, but some people have said this is a sign that they don't think it can do well unless it goes into the theaters after everything's over. Like, they think there's just not enough people interested in it. And I would disagree. I think it's just a COVID thing. I don't think it's that people don't want to go see it. I think people don't want to go see it and end up sick and in the hospital. I think the curse of Dune movie adaptations has set this one up for some negative press already because of that but i'm kind of hoping for a good adaptation because it's been a long time since dune's been done and the graphics for things have gotten to be a lot better than they were so i'm pretty excited to see what comes of it whether it's this year or next year and there is speculation that by pushing it off they think it can make up to a billion dollars in I believe the it. box office. Sci-fi films usually do very well in the theaters. But they so. know for sure that that number would not happen if it was released while we're still fighting COVID. Oh, yeah. So I think it's a good financial decision, but as someone who just went to the theater last weekend, I feel like, I, I don't know. I it, think the way the theaters are handling it, it's good. I just don't think... You're not going to get those numbers packed in. Right. There's still a lot of people who are like, ah. And like, even we were 
for the longest time, we're like, do we really want to go see a movie in a theater? Like, we, right. we had a conversation for days about it. So. Yeah. Well, and even then, we took our own precautions on top of them taking their precautions. Yeah. And we were the only ones watching the that theater. one movie. Yeah, so we were by ourselves. So. I felt safer after that. But with this, I don't think you would have that sort of you'd have, comfort. You'd have higher turnout, for sure. And... I just don't think you're going to be able to get those numbers unless you wait. I agree. Plus, technically, this gives people more time to get started into reading Dune. And, like, the Dune world is huge. So I can understand wanting to have that time before you get to the movie. I just, I don't think I'm going to do it. Because Dune was never something I was interested in reading. And it's such an undertaking. There's over 20 books involved the original author didn't write all 20 of the books so then you have to kind of question how that plays into it but i didn't know there were that many books that's a lot right and some people say you only need to read the first three that the original author wrote in order to get a full go grasp in, go into the movie with a better understanding a fuller understanding but who knows maybe that'll be my challenge for the first part of next year i'll try to get as far as i can in dune i'm already saying no to that i think yeah i the look on your face says you're dreading it but it's just i like sci-fi but this is so old like i can't see myself reading it and enjoying it well you gotta think it's sci-fi based on a perspective from what like the 70s and 80s I can get the exact date for you. Dune by Frank Herbert was published in 1965. Here you go. So 60s. So sci-fi opinions have changed as to what's going to be sci-fi since then. I mean, the one thing to think about with the sci-fi genre from him writing in the 1960s is that there's going to be some guesses about how technology advances that are going to be pretty accurate, but then you're going to have ones that are really far off. Like laser guns. And stuff like that. So, I mean, it would be kind of interesting from that perspective to see what was he right about, what was he wrong about when it comes to the future technology. But at the same time, I've heard that he's very much writing from a 60s perspective. So, like... All the misogyny and, like, racism and stuff like that that we don't abide by anymore is kind of laced in throughout from what I have heard from people I trust about books. Right. So, do I want to see the movie? Kind of. Do I want to read it? Probably not. Right. We'll see. But if you do, you have time to get started on the Dune series. Yeah, I don't know that I'm going to read it before I go see the movie. I'll probably just see the movie. Well, that's what you've always done so far. History repeats itself. (laughs) But that was all the book news I had. When I was looking for a tag for us to do, I wasn't able to find a lot that I felt like you could do. Oh, thanks. Well, because you don't have a lot of backlog of books that you've read right like you've only read a certain number of books at this point and so your answers are going to be all in the same vein but i decided to go into a goodreads group and find a would you rather game that they were playing in the forums (laughs) and pull out the questions that i liked for us to play in this section so it's would you rather instead of a tag i guess a would you rather tag i mean Kind of. I just pieced it together from questions they were asking on this forum, so I don't know. Gotcha. And there are ten that I pulled because I thought that would 
be a good number. Would you rather only read the first and last chapters of a book, or would you rather only read the middle part? Oof. Yeah, um, right? I'd probably want to read the beginning and the end, just because, like, I if I read just the middle, it would drive me crazy not to know <laughs> what the, actually happens at the end. Like, I would, I would feel like it's a waste of time to read what was in the middle, and I, that's why I would do that. I would want to read the middle section that's where the good stuff exists i don't know endings are pretty important too you know to close everything out well when you look at a story as a whole you've got to meet all the characters and the setting and that's usually in the first chapter or handful of chapters and then the end is usually you've already had the climax and you're having the resolution happening so i feel like i could live without the beginning first chapter setup and the end resolution because there are things you can pick up as you're reading the story. And kind I kind of already assume where it's going. And as you're reading it, you can still go on that journey with them. Right. I think it would really also depend on how it was written. Like, if it's one of those books with, like, a 30-page chapter one and a 30-page last chapter, and then you have the middle, I feel like you're losing too much on the ends. Well, it depends on what your definition of the beginning and the end is. If it's, like, the first three and last three chapters, then... Well, it says and, first and last chapters or just the middle part. Oh, so it I thought it was like, the first. I thought it was beginning and the end of the book. No, just first chapter, last chapter, or the ones in between. Well, yeah, then at that point, it's obviously the in between because first and last chapters is like really not that important. And you could put together the information you get from the front. And like you said, in the back end of books, like most of the Harry Potter books is like, and we're wrapping up. And that's just all it is. So it's just a waste, you know, more so than anything. Just extra pages to close out the book. It's weird to see how you think about novels, but yes. Yeah. Would you rather read the same book for the rest of your life or only be able to read a bunch of horrible books for the rest of your life? You could read as many of those as you want, but they're all bad. I would probably pick whatever my favorite book would end up being. The problem is I don't have a lot to choose from right now. So you would reread the same book for the rest of your life? Probably, yeah. Me too. Yeah, I don't know that I would want to read horrible books all the time. That would be really depressing. I mean, I also feel like my opinions about books would change. Because if that's all you're reading, then you don't know what's good anymore. Right. So, I don't know. That would be really weird. So, maybe horrible books don't seem as horrible after you've read a lot of horrible books. It's like, kind of just becomes a norm. Would you rather live without books or live without food but still be able to survive? Live without books or... or... Live without food, but you don't have to worry about dying. You're not going to die. Nothing bad's going to happen to you if you don't eat. I feel like there's no risk involved in that then at that point. Right? That's what I thought. Like, yeah. obviously, just no food. The only bad thing is you can't, like, enjoy tasting food. So, like, if I eat, if I choose the food, do I also not die? Or, because, like, if that's the case, I would probably choose food because there's a lot of food out there that I really, really like. But at the same time, there's a lot of books I haven't read. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm on the fence on this one. This one's tough, actually. I would not be able to live without books in this situation. That would be the one thing I couldn't live without. Well, I've, I understand that. I've literally had conversations with you. Like, if you could not breathe to read faster, you would do it as long as you didn't get hurt. Even if you took the risk of getting hurt, I think you might still do that. Hmm. I don't know about that. I'm not going to hold my breath thinking I can read faster. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you wouldn't be able to enjoy food, but you'd also still be able to read. Yeah. And I feel like that's more important to me. Yeah. Would you rather live without books or live without electricity? Uh, that's an easy one for me. I'd rather live without books. Oddly, same. 
Yeah. I need electricity to survive at this point. Like, yeah. I don't actually, but it would be hard. And I don't know that I would want that. As somebody who's trying to persuade you to be a sports fan, it would be very easy for me to make that selection of electricity because then we could still watch sports. You could still hear about sports, read it in the newspaper. That's not a book. It's a, a newspaper. Yeah, but you're giving up electricity. Books. But you'd be giving up electricity. So what? You can still read the newspaper online. It's, no, not, a, my, it's not a book. My point was about giving up sports because you can't watch them. So yeah. then you can only read about them was but, my point. But we, I can only read about them in books, not in no. newspapers. That's what the stipulation was, no, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. Just no electricity. Oh, okay. Would you rather not be able to talk for a day or not be able to read for a day? And it's only for one day? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's really not that risky either. Realistic, you could go either way and be like, well, I chose not to read today, but I, I'm going to... Well, it's just a punishment. Yeah. God's like, I will take away your voice or I will take away your books. For one day. Yeah. I'd probably, I'd probably rather lose books because I feel like it's only for one day. It's not the end of the world. I would rather lose my voice because I read literally every day. And you prefer not to deal with people too. So if you were a mute, right? it would be that bad. Introverts, like, this is the perfect choice. Would you rather be a superhero or a super villain? I feel like we've done this question before. I'd probably want to be a superhero. I don't know that I'd want to be a villain. See, I would want to be a villain because, like, I hate superhero stories and I don't like the whole, like, we must do good for the sake of doing good nonsense. Like, the one good thing about what's-his-face Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy is that he still breaks rules. Well, and he was still like, I want to save the world because that's where I live. Yeah. Like... If I could be that kind of superhero, maybe. But, like, I don't like the superhero nonsense that comes with it. The goody two shoeness of it? Right. Everyone's got a little bit of dark inside of them, so, like, stop, like, dancing around, acting like you're perfect. Right. Like, in the Marvel Universe, I'd rather be a villain. But you're guaranteed to lose if that's the case, every time. But then I wouldn't have to be a pretentious word I'm not allowed to say. Got it. Would you... Rather be reincarnated as a demigod or as your favorite book character? I think as a demigod, I think that'd be fun. Yeah. I don't really have too many book characters that I'd be like, yeah, I want to be that person. And I I think that's the reason I'm answering the way I do. I'm sure with time as I read more books, it'll probably flip. But right now, that demigod sounds pretty cool. My thing is, book characters go through so much nonsense. Like, I would rather not. Yeah. But at the same time, I could be Luna. Or I could be Neville. Yeah, I could see you being comfortable with being Luna. I don't know how to take that. Just that you have a silly personality and you like to have fun. I feel like that's Luna in a nutshell. Yeah. And then you still have that serious sightness to yourself where it's just like I'm dropping the mic on you right now. She does drop the mic sometimes. I think people don't appreciate that enough about her. Yeah. So I think I'm going to go with book character even though they go through a lot of crap. As Luna. Maybe as Luna, maybe as Blue from The Raven Cycle. I really like her. I thought you were going to say Blue from Blue's Clues. I'm like, Jesus, that's not even a book, sweetheart. I'm pretty sure there is a Blue's Clues book somewhere. Oh, I'm sure there is now, but yeah. Would you rather get stuck inside the worst book you've ever read or get stuck in your favorite book of all time, but none of the characters like you? And That's tough. That's tough. I don't know. That I would probably do my favorite book and everybody hates me. Yeah. Just because I would at least be in the world that's the same, and I'd be like, whatever. 
Like, I don't care if you hate me. I don't want to be your friend anyways. I just want to be here in this world. I have to think. The worst book I've ever read... Well, the worst book I've read this year is The Magicians by Lev Grossman. And I would pay money to never get stuck in that world. So I'm going to have to go with the other option. Just not be liked. Seems like the easier right decision to make. Well, and like, one of my favorite books of all time is Harry Potter. So it's kind of like, there are so many characters in there, someone's going to like me eventually. No, but the key thing is, they all hate you, so... Well, yeah, but you also have a bunch of, like, unknown characters that aren't really, like, a main character or side character. You've got all these other classes of Hogwarts students. Right. Some random Ravenclaw I've never seen before in the books would be like, hey, you're okay. Yeah, you're And then everyone else could just hate me. Yeah. (laughs) I guess that's true. Could go that option. Would you rather go to lunch with your favorite characters or your favorite author? Probably favorite author. I feel like that would be fun. I don't really have a favorite by any means right now, but I feel like after I read a few more books, I would enjoy that. I feel like you should never meet your heroes. So, like, this whole question is hard, but... Well, if you're meeting your heroes, wouldn't that be the person in the book? I don't think an author is a hero by any means. Well, if you're someone who really likes their work. Yeah. I just... Anytime I've met an author, it hasn't gone well for me because I freeze and just kind of stare at them. Right. So, like, I don't want to do that for a whole lunch. I think that's a bad idea. So I'd rather meet my favorite character. Interesting. That's not to say I wouldn't also freeze up around them, but maybe it would be better because I know they're not real. Right. Hopefully. And the last question, would you rather read only standalone novels or only be allowed to read books in a series? So you could only read series or standalones. I'd probably want to read series more than I would individual books. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times standalones don't get their stories well enough across. I've literally complained about books that are in series not being long enough. So why would I want to go with the shorter option? On this podcast all the time. Every other week, maybe. You will never find a book that I think is long enough. Either it's way too long because the author doesn't know what they're doing and should never have written a book in the first place. Or they're shortchanging. Or they're too short and I need more. So, obviously, my answer would be series. I think most of what I read are series. That's what I was going to say is the case. As for what I've been reading, I did what I said I was going to do last week and I only read two books. You beat yourself up about it, though. A lot. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird because you get into looking into the book community and like you're watching booktube or you're posting online about what you're reading and you see people who are reading between like 15 and 30 books a month and it's like, how is that even possible? They're not. They're listening to books. They're not reading books. Well, this is a a pet peeve of mine that I will never back off of. Unlike most of BookTube, you do not think that it's considered reading if you do an audiobook. It's not. You're listening. You're not reading anything. (laughs) There's nothing in front of you. Your ears are doing the work. And I personally don't think that you can listen at two times speed and comprehend what is happening, which this is the way that a lot of BookTubers quote-unquote read because you don't want to call it reading. Yeah, if you're listening to a book... That you've read before, I could see maybe you could comprehend whatever it is at a faster rate. But otherwise... I can't, personally. But. Yeah, that's insanity. Like, it's just insanity. But you get in this community on the internet about books, and 
it really skews how you view your own reading, which I think is pretty messed up. I fall into this very easily where I think, well, Kayla from Books and Lala read 150 whatever books this year, and I only read 98. Like, obviously, I'm failing. Right. But the thing is, our lives are very different, hers and mine. So we're not going to read the same types of books. We're not going to read the same number of books. So it's hard for me to let go to that like ugly side of thinking that like my reading's not good enough if I don't read as much as everyone else. Right. But I'm purposefully trying to slow down my reading so that I can enjoy it more and not get into that mentality. So from now on, it's going to be two books per week, sometimes one, because I'm thinking Thanksgiving, I'm not going to get a lot of reading time with my family. Usually speaking, no, that's off the table most of the time. So I read first Mistletoe and Mr. Wright by Sarah Morgenthaler. It's a new release that came out on October 6th. It's the second book in the Moose Springs, Alaska series. It's a series of companion novels. They're all romances that take place in this small town in Alaska, and this just takes a side character from the first books and kind of puts her center stage. And it was really cute. I gave it 4.25 stars. I think it had what I like, which is Christmas, small town, animals, romance, all laid bare for me. So It was perfect is what you're saying. Well, it was 4.25 stars, so no, but it was up there. I think this is perfect for anyone who's like me and like wants to get in the Christmas spirit like right now because it does it without going over the top. It's not everything's about Christmas. It's just happening around Christmas. Yeah. So it's even perfect for those people who around Christmas time want to start picking up novels like this. Yeah. It's a good seasonal read. The day you give a five star, I'm going to have like siren sound effects and all sorts of things going off. Like here it is, ladies and gentlemen. Right. It's very hard because I feel like I only want to give something five stars if I know that it's something that I will call a favorite for the rest of my life. Yeah. And a four star is one of those things that it's one of my favorite books, but I don't know that I will still call it my favorite book or one of my favorite like all time books in the next 20 or 30 years or whatever. My rating system's all weird. Yeah. Well, I would say I'm shocked, but I'm not. Yeah. But I thought the romance in this was pretty cute. She's sort of this big shot who... She loves this small town that she stumbled upon. And so she wants to help raise up the community financially by bringing business into the town. And the town does not want her to build there once her out of this town if this is the way she's going to be. And so the guy who is her romantic interest is one of the few people who's not condemning her for her way to try to, like, save the town or whatever. Right. And they both kind of had interest in each other in the first book. So I feel like if you're going to read this, you should probably read that first. But they're such minor characters that you don't have to. And I feel like he's this really sweet divorcee who like is trying to do the right thing and he's super sweet but he's also got self-confidence issues which is interesting to see because you don't see that a lot with romance books guys are always like the alpha male or whatever so it was nice to see like a softer side to a romantic lead makes sense and they were just really cute together that's good so 
I think Sarah Morgenthaler was probably going to become one of those romance authors that I auto buy, like uh, Casey West. Gotcha. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to read whatever she comes out with. There is going to be a third book in this series, and it's coming out at the end of winter this next winter. So in early 2021. Is it supposed to be like post-Christmas? I don't know. It's a romance between one of the side characters from the first and second book. Okay. And he is like this kind of big, rough, outdoorsy guy. Think of your friend John. Okay. And a romance between him and someone who comes to spend time visiting the small town and going skiing and stuff. I'm really hoping some of my other friends, John, think it's them for a little bit. <laughs> and then there's like, one John there's we're one thinking particular of. particular we're thinking of. It's not you. And uh. so he's sort of like this quiet guy throughout the first two books. And like, he's a sweetheart, but he's just like big and you think he's going to like kick someone's butt, but then he never does. Yeah. He's just a little soft giant yeah. kind of guy. Gentle giant. And so that's going to be cute to see. I'm excited. I'm a little concerned about how quickly these are getting pumped out. Like there was a year between the first and the second, but then there's only going to be like six months between the second and the third. It's probably been written, though, already, let's be honest. Like, they're just doing edits to make sure that it's all done already. Right. And these are quick, like, easy reads. It's not something you have to, like, dredge your way through. So I highly recommend this series. Right. And then the next book I read is something I did dredge my way through, which I blame formatting for more than writing, because the copy I got was a paperback, and it was less than 500 pages, but the hardback is almost 600. So I think it's just like the... Word count per page? It was just a lot. Like the print was tiny. It was hard to read. And I'm talking about The Diviners by Libba Bray, I don't think I said. It's a 2012 backlist. And this is one of the staples of like YA, supernatural, paranormal, whatever I was kind of shocked you were finally reading it for the first time. I was like, how have you not read this before? Well, because I never thought I'd be interested in it until this past year, there's been a bit of a resurgence because there's like a concluding novel that just came out for the series like technically they had books one two and three so it was a trilogy originally and then a few years later the author came out with a fourth book to kind of cap it all up or top it off or whatever you want to call it yeah make more money and so when that resurgence happened it piqued my interest because it became a thing all the booktubers were talking about again And the way they were discussing it this time versus when it originally came out, I thought it might be more up my alley than I thought it was. But I rated it 3.75 stars. So I liked it. I didn't love it. Like, it's on the cusp there. But basically, it's set in the late 1920s in New York. Specifically, most of it happens in Manhattan. And it's about this girl getting sent off to live with her uncle, And he ends up being called in by the police to help work a murder because he works at a museum for the occult. Interesting. And we discovered that there are a handful of people whose perspectives we get during the novel who have magic powers and they're called the diviners. Gotcha. Which is where the series title comes from. I struggled with this one also, not just because of the formatting issue, but because it was trying 
so very hard to be set in the 1920s that it became kind of characterish. So it's like things were exaggerated and like over the top and more so than I think it necessarily needed to be for me to feel like it was set in the 1920s. That was a struggle and it became something that I was kind of dreading. So when we got to the sections where supernatural things or murdery things were happening, I would really enjoy those. But the second that she goes back to doing something normal, I hated it. Gotcha. Because it was just trying so hard to be in that setting that it felt over the top and unrealistic. So I'm sort of on the fence about whether or not I want to continue with the series. On the one hand, I like the supernatural elements. I like the weird spooky stuff that was happening, but so little of that was explored in the first novel that I don't know if it's going to be worth it to continue with three more books because... I would imagine it goes more in depth as it goes along. I feel like this first book is like the setting it up book more so than anything. Right. That's what I think as well. I just don't know if the series as a whole is going to be worth it. I don't know because it spent so much time trying to get you to believe that this was the 1920s and so little time trying to get you to believe that the weird, fantastical, supernatural elements were happening that I still don't know how the magic works. And like, I feel like if you have this semi-close-knit group of people who can do magic, they would have discussed it with each other more. I don't feel like all these people would have these magical powers and be a stone's throw away from each other and not go, well, I can do this. What are you doing over there? Like, right. how how do none of them know that they each have powers? And they're all friends or friends of friends. I don't get it. Yeah. They should be pretty aware of themselves. Right. It's like when you're reading a contemporary novel and you have one gay character and all of their friends are straight. Yeah. Like, I don't buy into that. So, I don't know. I'm still on the fence. I think if I spent Christmas money or birthday money or something on the next one, that you would be, be okay. Upset. Yeah. But I don't think I would want to just spend my own money picking up the next one when I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. Right. And on top of that, this kind of felt more like a historical fiction than supernatural, paranormal, fantasy, whatever you want to call it. And that is a genre that I hate because it spends so much time focusing on things that don't matter to the story so that you're actually in the setting and you're supposed to believe that it's that time period. I don't like it. Yeah. As for what I'm reading next, I'm reading In the Study with the Wrench by Diana Peterfrund. It came in. It's the second book in the series that you just started within the last month, right? Yes, so it's the second book in the Clue Mystery series. It's set in a private boarding school in northern Maine, and it's in this tiny town, so it ends up being a closed circle mystery for that first novel. I assume the same for the second, but it just came out on October 13th. And for this one, I don't know too much about the actual plot. It is a murder mystery novel, so I don't want to go in knowing too much. I just know that the murder crew, which is the group of people who were there when the murder happened of the... Previous book? Well, I'm trying to think of what he was called, Mr. Body, but I don't remember what his title was over the school. I want to say director and that's not right. Headmaster. Sure. We'll go with that one. When he died, they were there, so they all come back to school the next semester and no one really wants anything to do with them. 
because of it. And then I assume another murder happens. It'd be a weird murder mystery if it didn't. If there was no muerte. And after that, I'm going in the complete opposite direction and reading a Christmas book that I got approved for from NetGalley. And the only reason I'm throwing it in to read so quickly is I got approved for it two weeks before the book actually comes out. So I need to read it very fast. It's called All I Want for Christmas. Is you? No, it's just called All I Want for Christmas. Oh, okay. It's by Wendy Loggia. Think that's how you say her name? Well, you're doing a really great credibility so far. Anyway. <laughs> but I'll read you the synopsis real quick. It's a short paragraph. Bailey Briggs is counting down the days to Christmas. She lives for holiday music, baking cookies, going on snowy sleigh rides, and wearing her light-up reindeer ears to work at Winslow's bookstore. But all she really wants this year is the one thing she doesn't have. Someone special to kiss under the mistletoe. And she's 100% certain that that someone isn't Jacob Marley, athlete, player, and of questionable taste in girlfriends. And that Charlie, the mysterious stranger with the British accent, is the romantic lead of her dreams. Is she right? This will be a December to remember filled with real-life Christmas magic and, if she stays on Santa's nice list, a wish that just might come true. Well, if it's anything like a Hallmark movie, it won't be the British guy. It'll be Farley. Right. So, sorry if that's spoilers for my guess, but... Well, you're just guessing, so no spoilers. Yeah. I think you're probably correct, but we'll see. It comes out on November 3rd. I got it through NetGalley. I'll try to get it read real quick so I don't miss that November 3rd release date. Right. But it's somewhat short. It's saying that the digital version is 240 pages, but when I downloaded it onto my tablet, it was like almost 400 pages on there. So who knows what the real page count is? Anywhere in between. Or one or the other. Yeah. And I'm also going to start but not finish Half-Blood Prince because the first two books are less than 700 pages to read both. So... I can read that really easily in a week, so I'm probably also going to start Half-Blood Prince while you're finishing Half-Blood Prince. It's the plan anyways. But I don't think I'm going to also get through a 700-page book on top of reading 700 pages. Me neither. I'm not going to push. But now we can get into the... Hot topic of the day, Half-Blood Prince. The uh, second third of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Yep. So So now you're two-thirds of the way through the book. Yeah, so I'm making some headway on the book. This week was interesting. I started slow, and then I started getting hooked about what was going on. My brain was like, read, 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 read. Right. So much so that literally I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning the other day to read because my brain was like, you don't need sleep. You need to get back to this. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I have this weird feeling about book six where, like, I know I don't hate it, but I also know that it's not my favorite. Right. But also, there are some scenes that happen. You've read through Christmas, right? Uh, yeah. So, like, the Christmas at the borough, like, that's one of my favorite things. So, there are some things that I really love that happen in this book, but, like, it's not my favorite. I don't know that I really liked Christmas at the borough that much. Well, we'll get to it when you get there. Um, and you'll probably have more to talk about than me because I really didn't care for it. But obviously you start off with the Hogsmeade Day, more or less, the first one of the year. It's like sleeting outside and everybody's like, do we really want to go to Hogsmeade that badly? And there's still a large group that goes. Yeah. Um, 
but then like more or less they instantly regret it and so harry gets out there and he's like you know what screw it let's go into three broomsticks and maybe it'll be all right and they get into three broomsticks and or they get to three broomsticks and they see that Mundugans is out there selling all the stuff from Sirius's house. Like he's having a freaking yard sale, like a garage sale in front of three broomsticks. Yeah. Like, hey, get your really fancy things here from my fancy dead friend's house. I couldn't believe that that was happening. I like, mean. Like I, I legitimately got angry and I think I stopped reading and I was like, Mundugas is a piece of trash. Well, yeah. Like it's more kind so of, than I thought he was. It's kind of in his name. Yeah. But also, he is a criminal. Like, he may work for the Order, but he is a criminal. Yeah. And then they go inside, have a butterbeer, talk it over, like, try to cool off Harry, because Harry's, like, ready to kill him. I'm um, not... Shocked? Not shocked. Yeah, neither. And they're like, all right, well, let's leave. And they see Katie Bell and one of her friends leaving. So, like, oh, we'll catch up with them, you know, try to play catch up with them. And then all of a sudden, they see the two of them, like, fighting over a package. And then all of a sudden, Katie's hanging in the air out of nowhere right they they're trying to get her to like try to pull her down and they're like looking for somebody to see if like she's under an imperious curse or something right and then she comes back down to the ground while harry's running to go find help and haggard comes and just like come on tiny human get in here and let's get you to the hospital wing like da 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 like super haggard like that's totally the way the scene came across to me at least yeah and then harry is about to just go pick up the package and her mind's like whoa Turbo, there's a reason she ended up like that. It's because she touched this thing. Like, we need to be more careful about it. And Harry's like, fine, I'll wrap it in my scarf. And, like, Harry's like, I'm sure muttering under his breath, like, mar, 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 stupid yeah. Hermione, like, as he's walking back, I mean, freezing to death. I mean, she has a point. She does have a point, 100%. I don't know why that was a thing that was an issue for them to understand. And Katie's friend is basically breaking it down to McGonagall about like what's happened so that they can communicate it properly to Madame Pomfrey and uh, Madame Pomfrey gets the little necklace and kind of figures ooh I'm above my weight here sends her off to uh, St. Mungo's and then you get the first scene back with Dumbledore since the original lesson you have two different memories you have the Borgen and Burke's scene with Marope's locket uh, which really sees you seeing her struggle to raise young Voldemort well, she's not raising him. Yeah. She's struggling with paying for herself while she's pregnant. Pregnant. With him, yeah. And they rip her off without a doubt because they know what it is. They're not right. stupid. And then you get the other scene where you're seeing what basically is an orphanage, right? More or less. Yes. And Dumbledore arrives and he gets the caretaker literally just blitzed and she starts pouring the tea, basically, more or less. Right. To him, going like, oh yeah, well, there's this, 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 and this. This is what he's done, blah, 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 blah. We think he's killed somebody's pet, and we know that he's done this, and we know that the two kids that went into the cave with him on one of our field trip days didn't ever come back right. Yeah. She's like forewarning him, like, he's clearly a troublemaker. Are you sure you want to see him? Right. You know? And he's like, yeah, let's go go talk to him. Here's 20 red flags, but take him. Please, take him. Yeah. More or less, Dumbledore's kind of helping Voldemort realize that he has magic powers. Like, obviously, Voldemort knows that he's got, like, some weird thing going on, but doesn't know that it's necessarily magic 100%. Like, he's kind of, like, on the fence about it. He just thought he was different. He didn't understand, like, this whole magical community existed. Right. Sounds kind of familiar, right? Hmm. 
The difference is obviously those Harry wasn't torturing animals or killing them. He was also raised in a home with his family. Yeah. Not treated right, but he wasn't raised in an orphanage. And I'm going to start referring to him as Tom Riddle, I guess, because technically that's who he is at that point. Little Tom Riddle is like, I don't believe you. You're full of it. Do magic and prove it to me. And so Dumbledore lights his wardrobe, his on, wardrobe fire? on fire. I literally have it in my notes. I just was looking up at the mic instead of trying to read my notes. And then he extinguishes it. And he's like, how is it not burnt? And he's like, okay, okay, you're serious about this. Yeah. But you definitely see the bad side of Tom Riddle at a very young age. Because even then he's like overly confident, like, I'll be fine. Just tell me where I need to go to get all my things. I'll figure it out on my own. Well, on top of that, he's doing that thing that serial killers do, which is like taking souvenirs from people and like collecting things and i also think in that scene you see this bad side to dumbledore in that he's proving to riddle that i know more about you than you want me to yeah and i know the bad things you've done and that you aren't this perfect child you're trying to pretend you are or whatever and i think that says a lot about how dumbledore I don't know, kind of sees children that like they're things that you sort of not hover over, but like know more than you probably should. And you kind of manipulate them in order to get what you want. I didn't really go that deep in that grasp, but I I definitely had in my notes that it's not the best way to start off the relationship between Voldemort or Tom Riddle and Dumbledore in that instance. And it continues to spiral downhill, it seems, throughout their relationship between the two of them. Well, I think Tom knows that he's not going to be able to pull the wool over Dumbledore's eyes because he's seen him at the orphanage sort of in his like worst behavior. I don't think he feels like he could ever kind of trick him the way that he can with other teachers. And then we start off the next chapter with Ginny making out with her boyfriend and Ron basically being like, upset and angry and scolding Ginny and Ginny's like it's only because you've never kissed a girl yeah yeah and it's like oof dude like don't pick the fight if you're not ready for it to get beat up younger sisters we're coming for you yeah at the same time Harry starts to kind of feel like he needs to protect her from it's Dean right yeah yeah. Dean it's just it's it was a funny scene for me I think more so than anything I just you really see their sibling relationship there for sure but in turn like that's just eating up Ron like so much it's like another thing on his mind on top of the fact that he knows he's not the best keeper now because they found out about McLagan in the previous yeah chapters more or less would have outperformed him if Hermione wouldn't have used magic against him to impede him I mean technically we'll never know because it never actually happened without him being impeded so who knows right um, so he's beating himself up, like, I'm not even that good, I'm not even that good. So Harry's sitting there trying to hype him up about it, because he has the game against Slytherin coming up, and he goes, I need you to not be thinking you're not good. Like, right. you need to get out of that headspace, you're plenty good. So, Harry plays a trick on both Hermione and Ron, which I thought was... I like this Manipulative as hell. It's also really funny. But, like, really great, because he literally was like, I know Hermione's gonna flip out when she sees a vial that's empty... And me handing you a, a pumpkin juice. But at the same time, it's just like... Yeah. He literally... He plotted it down to the minute detail of just chaos. Mm-hmm. And controlled it. Which I, I loved. I really enjoyed that scene. 
And all the scenes that thereafter fell, followed the, up with that. The thing is, he has to know exactly how Hermione is going to behave right. in order for this to work. Right. And he does, because they've been friends for Long six enough. years. Yeah. I think this is really funny. Yeah. It, <laughs> truly enjoyable. Obviously, Ron thinks the entire time that he's had this potion that makes him have better luck. Yeah. And when they get down there on the field, like, Ginny's like, oh, and so-and-so's not going to be playing, and so-and-so's not going to be playing. And he's like, oh, my God, the luck <laughs> thing is working. And Harry's, like, steering into it as hard right. as he can. Like, yeah. oh, wow, whoa. Lucky the weather's so good. Yeah. Stuff yeah. like that, yeah. And Ron obviously has a good game because of it, because he thinks the good luck's on his side. And at the end, Hermione just, like, loses her mind on on uh, Harry. And Harry's like, the full vial's right here, stupid. I played you both like a fiddle. Like He didn't quite say it like that. But yeah, yeah, but, like, pretty much. But, yeah, it was, was one of my favorite scenes from what I read this week. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And in response to the celebration, Ron comes back in and... Like, Lavender Brown is just all up on his business. Mm-hmm. And he's like, screw it. Might as well start now. And my thing is, I don't think he really even liked her necessarily. It's just she showed an interest in him. Convenience. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really kind of trashy for Ron. Yeah. But dude, you're better than that. Apparently, he's not. At the same time, though, like, I feel like Hermione was dropping hints, but he was naive and didn't notice them right he's so, like, a little oblivious sometimes yeah, yeah. And, and that's probably why he didn't get kissed until that point <laughs> let's be honest he probably missed some opportunities because he didn't realize they were there in front of his face and so Hermione comes in and sees the two of them making out and is just like harumph like he should have known and it's like well you don't know 100% I... of the time sometimes unless it's like right in front of your face so and clearly for Ron that's what it needs to be I don't think she thinks he should have known she's just hurt yeah I don't know the actions that she has later in this chapter would argue otherwise a little bit so well I'll just agree to disagree with you on that one because obviously Harry then sees Hermione and goes chasing after his friend like how could you be so inconsiderate? Like, he realizes that he immediately noticed, like, the entire time he's noticed that Hermione has something for Ron, and Ron's just too stupid to realize it. Right. But, like, the reason Ron made out with her in the first place is because, like, well, even Hermione made out with Victor Crumb. Like, so he was hurt a little bit, too. Harry's kissed Cho, and Jenny's obviously kissing Dean. Yeah. So... Um, but Harry ends up catching up to Hermione in an empty classroom, and she's doing all these spells, and there's birds flying around in the room, and... At, while they're having the conversation, like, I like it, it seems like it's more like Harry going, like, he's stupid, he doesn't know, everything's going to be okay, like, trying to help Hermione a little bit. And then Ron and freaking Lavender Brown come through the freaking door making out still, and it's just like, Lavender's like, oh, I am going to leave? Yeah. This is not the right place for me to be. And Ron gets on the defensive, and Hermione's like, how could you be such a, some words that we don't use on the podcast? We could go with twit, I guess. I don't know. Nitwit. Nitwit. Idiot. Dummy. All those things pretty well versed. And as she leaves, she sticks all the birds on Ron. I thought that was pretty funny. But at the same time, I'm like, well, now you definitely know that she likes you stupid. And if you don't, you're really dumb. Like. Well, I mean, he's a little. It's like the little girl punching the boy on the schoolyard, you know, a little bit. Like. We shouldn't be having that kind of talk. Because just because someone hits you doesn't mean they like you. And if they do hit you, they obviously don't like you enough to not hurt you. I was making a joke. Relax. I understand. Diving way too far into that. But that whole scene was pretty funny. 
Like, I enjoyed the birds attacking him and things yeah. like that. I thought it was funny. Hermione also tells Harry about the Christmas party that Slughorn has planned and that he needs to find a date, a plus one. Harry's like, well, I could ask Ginny. And, and he's like, wait, there's enough crap on Ron's plate right now. Maybe I shouldn't dump that on him quite yet. And so he's like, just more or less like, maybe I'll just go by myself. You know, that's the attitude he has about it. And all these girls are, like, trying to get his attention. And, like, invite me, invite me. Like, it'll be great. Blah, 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 blah. Like, to the point where Hermione ends up hearing while she's in one of the girls' bathrooms that Romilda Vane is, like, dead set on using a love potion on Harry. Like, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. And she forewarns Harry and is like, listen, just pick somebody to go with so all this crap ends because everybody wants to go with you. And one person is pretty darn serious about it. Right. Like, be careful. Dangerously serious. Yeah. The one thing from Fred and George's shop that could actually hurt Harry. Yeah, right. And conveniently, like, later in the day, Romilda Vane gives Harry chocolate cauldrons, which he knows immediately because, like, I've already been warned. I know this is not good. Yeah. And she's like, well, aren't you going to have one? And he's like, nah, not right now. <laughs> like, I'm going to go put them away in my chest and I'll have them maybe a little bit later tonight. And she's like, oh, okay. Like, da-da-da. But he stores them away. He's like, has no plans of ever eating them. Just throws them in his trunk and just leaves them be. And then Harry ends up running into Luna and is like, you know what? As friends, we should go to this. And I was like, yas. It's also so cute how she accepts it. I've never gone as friends before. Yeah. And she's like so excited and it's yeah. cute. And Hermione ends up taking McLagan to spite Ron. That's clearly like a stab at Ron. Like, it was like... Well, we all know he's the better keeper, so he must be a better guy, too. Even though she knows that's not the truth. And this just goes to my point that Hermione's not as perfect as, like, all the movies try to make her out to be. Because she can be petty just like everyone else. Yeah, petty with a capital P. Yeah. Yeah. And then she ends up ditching McLagan at the actual event, which I thought was really funny. But while the party's going on, Harry's really being entertained by, like, the tangents Luna is going on with people while he's talking. Or while she's talking to other people. And I'm like, that's a little bit, like, shallow. A little bit like, ah, it's funny because she's making all this nonsense up, you know. And it's just like, no, you're supposed to support her. You're yeah. on a date with her. Even, Even if it's just, just as, as friends. friends. At a certain point, Filch comes in basically dragging Draco by the ear. Like, I caught him trying to sneak in. What do you want to do? And Slughorn's like, yeah, he's a pretty powerful guy, I guess. Like, let him stay here, you know. It's fine. It's Christmas. Yeah. And Snape hears that and is like, no. Let me handle my student, please. And drags him back out of the party. And Harry's like, gotta go. Superhero Harry time. Like, I've got to throw on my invisibility cloak and go see what's going on. Because it's suspicious. Yeah. And to try to avoid spoilers, suspicious things happen. And Harry is kind of like, meh. I don't know why you keep trying to avoid spoilers. We're spoiling all of the series the whole way through. Just yeah. say it. I really didn't want to go deep into it with notes, but like at a certain point, Snape is scolding Draco and Draco's like, listen, Grandpa, you might be involved with this, but I don't need your help. Like, leave me alone. And you find out about the unbreakable vow that right. Snape makes. And... That we saw in like chapter two. Right. So it's just, it's a weird scene between the two of them. Like, it's definitely not the way I expected it to go, like more okay. so than anything. But it was interesting because Harry's like, got him. He thinks he's got him dead to rights. And still, it's just like, you barely have evidence, dude. Just chill. I don't even think he really has evidence. He overheard one conversation, so, right. like, it's not you close. really have nothing. Yeah. Harry explains, basically, this is when they're going back to the borough, which is your favorite time. I like Christmas a lot. Yeah. When they get back there, Harry's explaining to Ron kind of what he heard and what's going on between Draco and Snape. More or less, Ron is just like, listen, Snape is probably just trying to find out for the Order. 
You're being paranoid. Right. Relax. And then Harry's like, fine, I'll go talk to your dad about it. And talks to his dad about it. And his dad's pretty much on the same page. Like, you're crazy, dude. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, it was him and Lupin, I think, with that conversation. Lupin also lets loose that he's been undercover with werewolves. Uh, with a particular one, Fenrir Greyback, which is the one that bit him, as you find out. Is it not Fenrir Greyback? If it is, I missed a letter. Okay. Um, in which case, I apologize. We'll call him Mr. Greyback. That's giving him way more respect than he deserves, but go right. on. And he kind of explains the atrocities that this dude has committed as a werewolf. Yeah. Like, he purposely puts himself around people on full moon nights just to kill people. And that's Or at least to bite them to turn them. Into werewolves. Yeah. yeah. He's a really messed up dude. And, like, he's doing it to children predominantly, which is even more messed up. That kind of feels like it's leaning into, like, the pedophilia, like, allusion to that. And I'm like, eh. Yeah. But they, they say that the reason is because they can mold the minds to be like, look, people are bad. You're not bad. You're fine. You know, type situation. Yeah. So more like a brainwashing army situation. Oh, it's just a cult. Everything's fine. Yeah. Percy arrives on Christmas morning at the borough, which was, like, I was at actually mad. Yeah. And happy at the same time. Because I was happy for Miss Weasley because it's like, it's the child that's pretty much been non-existent in the last couple books or years. Well, like a year and a half since you've seen this kid. Like, yeah. yeah it's and rough. he comes with the Minister of Magic, Rufus Scrimgeour. Scrimgeour? I say Scrimgeour, but I don't know if that's correct. Yeah. Whatever your pronunciation is for his last name, congratulations. It's probably right to you mm-hmm. and whoever else says it that way. And he basically asked for Harry to go outside and everybody's like, ah, 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 no, 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 no. And Harry's like, listen, I'll be fine. I'm walking right outside. I'm not going anywhere. And they're like, fine. Well, because everyone knows that's shady and weird. And, like, you're purposefully using Percy and, like, his family's emotions that finally seeing him. To gain access to him, yeah. To get access to Harry Potter. Like, go yourself. Yeah. And so he has this conversation with Harry and... He's trying to be super manipulative and persuade Harry to, like, be the face of the Ministry's fight against Voldemort and the Death Eaters. And he's like, you've been screwing everything up. Why would I want to be the face of that? A. B. Like, there's a reason Dumbledore's probably keeping me from you. And that's why it's weird that you're even here. And he goes, so you're basically Dumbledore's right-hand man. And he goes, yeah, absolutely I am. Like, I'm... Like, I think we're fighting the same fight, but at the same time... I don't like your methods. I don't like your methods to the madness, basically. Like, yeah. you're not handling it well. And I was just like, ooh, mic drop. I literally stopped li- reading and listening to music that I was going like... And I immediately was like, ooh, Harry mic drop. And you're like, yep, I know what moment you're in. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. there's so much sass to Harry, like, the longer the books go on. Because he's just constantly treated like crap. Yeah. And he doesn't want to take it, especially from this guy of all people. Yeah, to say the least. And that pretty much wraps up more or less the experience at the borough for Christmas. I know you probably have more to talk about. Well, I... Did it's you like the one floor of, scene with the music? Or? It's one of those things where I like seeing wizarding households and like how wizards are living their everyday life, but also how they're celebrating holidays and stuff. And so I like pretty much the whole thing from the time they get off the train in London until they go back to school, even despite that scene we just talked about, because I like seeing the way wizards are living. Didn't they they travel by, 
they travel by flu power back to the school, but they did they travel by train there? I I forget. Didn't they take the train and that's where they had that conversation? Oh, on you're the right. Train? Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's you're how right, they right. got there. That's the detail I dropped off my notes. That's why I didn't remember that. I haven't read the sixth book in like a year, so. Yeah, but you've read it eighty I'm million times, and it. I've read it the first time right now, yeah. so. But I do like them listening to the music and everyone's just doing kind of their own little thing in the burrow. And Floor's like, this is garbage, turn it off. I don't like that, but like everyone's just kind of there doing their own thing and it feels very homey to me. And like, I want my own Christmas sweater and I can wear that while we're just hanging out together listening to music. Yeah. So when they get back to the school, Ron immediately goes and runs and finds the love of his life to make out some more because lav lav yeah it was one one it wasn't lav 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 was not a thing but one one was a thing that is a jokey comment that hermione says either in the movie or the book and she calls her lav lav yeah she was definitely calling and mocking ron with one one yeah multiple times and i i guess you kind of forget the christmas gift that she gave him too which with the little necklace pendant my sweetheart yeah but either way, they get back, Ron's off to go make out, because that's all he feels like doing anymore, other than so, school. Uh, sounds like Quidditch. a 16-year-old boy. Uh, I take offense to that a little <laughs> bit. Uh, I don't know why you're offended if you're not a 16-year-old boy. I was one, and that was not the way I was, thank you very much. <laughs> don't get me wrong, I didn't have a problem with kissing my girlfriend at the time, but that was ages ago. <laughs> you better not have a girlfriend now. <laughs> no, none. Anyways, back to the story, Jesus. <laughs> I feel so embarrassed for no reason. Chapter 17, you had Hermione coming to Harry with a note from Dumbledore going, this is when our next lesson's going to be. Yeah. And at that point, Harry's like, I'm going to info dump on you too about what happened before Christmas with Snape and Draco. So, like, it's just like one more time that story had to be told. Yeah. He's literally mocking the response that Hermione gives him because... He's like, I've already heard it before. I don't want to hear it again. And it's like a very childish moment for Harry, for sure. Yeah. But they get back to the common room and they see that there's a sign on the wall saying that apparition lessons are beginning soon. Apparition lessons? Apparition. Fine. Said it wrong. Probably say it wrong again. (laughs) Either way, that they needed to sign up if they wanted to partake in it. Yeah. And then we go into Dumbledore's next lesson, and boy, that's a fun one. It's 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 a lot. So uh, Dumbledore obviously heard that the minister came to visit him, and he goes, so what did the minister want? And he's like, this, this, and this, and I told him that you're my boy dog. Like, that's... That's exactly how he says it in yep. the books, actually. Yeah, you know, bros before ministers of magic goes. <laughs> okay. And... Dumbledore is, like, super happy to hear it and, like, gets, like, a tear of joy in his eyes. Like, oh, that was the sweetest thing somebody could have told me. Obviously not like that, the way that was actually said. But still, he's happy to know that Harry's, like, on his side, you know, and not even contemplating dealing with the Ministry's nonsense. Yeah. And then he tries to dump, again, the information about Snape and freaking Draco. I think that was the most irritating part about this section of the book. I was like... God, it just repeats itself over and over and over. Because Harry can't let it go. Over and over. And I'm just like, can it just be done now after this? And even Dumbledore's like, yeah, but (laughs) the same explanation over and over again. Like, I trust Snape and these are the reasons why, blah, 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 blah. And and it's like, on to what we're here for now, because otherwise we'll be here all night talking about this crap. Yeah. They end up doing the pensive experiences again. This time, it's more of a history lesson at first. You're kind of learning 
why Voldemort changed his name because Tom was able to find out that his dad wasn't his dad. He's a half-blood and... Well, his dad is his dad, but his dad wasn't the one who had the magic. Right. He's his half-blood and he's like, why should I keep his name if he's not even magic? And started calling himself Lord Voldemort while he was at school. It's like, Can really? you imagine if some, like, 15, 16-year-old is like, my name is Lord Voldemort. Go F yourself. You're like, uh, Tom Riddle, present... Uh, actually, I would prefer to go by Lord Voldemort now. Right. Like, Look um, here. you're 16 years old, Tom. Shut the hell up. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was a weird moment, to say the least. Yeah. And then he shares the, the memory of Voldemort coming back between school years. You have him going to the Gaunt's house, the old house in the same village that Tom's family is from and all that stuff. He gets there and is like, well, I want to speak to... Marvolo and Morphin's like, I've been dead, bro. Where you been? Yeah. I'm like, and why you look so much like the guy that our my sister was in love with, and blah, 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 blah. and he's like, listen, shut up. I am a relative. Get off my back. And then he goes and kills his father and plants a memory in Morphin's brain, basically going like, so that he thinks he killed him. And I'm like, dang, like so. That's like so savage because he's like Morphin has already been to Azkaban and it's like he would have no motivation to go back there right and for the most part it seems like he's been keeping to himself because you're not really hearing about him anywhere else he grew up while he was in Azkaban a little bit yeah and this kind of goes back to the fourth book which opens up with Frank Bryce getting questioned about the murder of the Riddles yeah up at the Riddle house and then you have Slughorn's personally edited version of his memory which was weird with Voldemort asking about Horcruxes. Yeah. And Harry's like, so what are Horcruxes? And Dumbledore's like, that's not how you're going to find the answer out to that. Like, almost like he didn't know. And I don't know if he didn't actually know, but I feel like Dumbledore would somewhat be educated on what a Horcrux is. I don't know, though. It seemed weird. It was a weird scene. How I answer this is wholly dependent on how far you're in the book. So let me think. Because I don't think that Dumbledore doesn't know. I think he knows what a Horcrux is. He just doesn't know what it's they are. It's just there are other informational bits that he doesn't know if Tom has gotten it from Slughorn or not. So he needs the whole memory to understand exactly what Tom knew and thought when he was told what a Horcrux was. But he doesn't have the memory yet. So. Yeah. I think that's the neatest way I can say that without giving anything away. Gotcha. And then you have the potions class where the lesson is based off of antidotes. Yeah. That's a funny one because Hermione's like, oh, good luck with your book helping you now. Right. You have to understand the theory. Yeah. And Harry's like struggling through trying to make this antidote for something that he knows nothing about. Right. He doesn't understand what is happening. Yeah. He's like scrolling through his book like help, 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 help. And then he finds it. In one of the margins, he sees something about a bezoar. Yes. Just shove a bezoar down their throat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, having the ability to absorb potions and poisons. So he runs over really quickly as he's coming around the room and grabs one out of the stash for the class for potions. Right. And when Slughorn gets to him, he's like, it's the antidote for everything. Well, and at least like, the antidote exactly. for the poison I have here. Yeah, exactly. So that's fun. And basically Harry waits for the class to leave and... Uh, 
I feel like this is a scene of like just pure ignorance about how he's gonna get this information from Slughorn because Hermione's like oh just ask him it'll be fine like he'll tell you like and he's like I don't know that it will work like that but if it's a memory that you've purposefully modified so that you can't even fully remember the real thing yeah do you really think he's just gonna hand it over right and so Harry just basically asks about Horcruxes and go figure that he didn't get the answer. Yeah. So Horn's like, I'm a little irritated with you. Why are you asking me this? Did Dumbledore put you up to this? Yeah. yeah. Then you have the apparition or apparition practice lessons. And they don't really go very well for anybody the first time. But go figure. Uh, there was one girl who managed to separate herself from one of her legs. But that was it. Yeah, she splinched herself. Yeah. That, that seems rough. I don't think I would like apparition. Like, I would not want to apparate anywhere. I'd rather fly or flu powder. Anything but that. Yeah. And then you have Ron's birthday. Yeah, poor Ron. It's not a birthday you'd be proud of. <laughs> I mean, it's not really his fault. I mean, it kind of is. Him being a sweet tooth was mostly the reason he's in the predicament he's in. Yeah. So they wake up and Harry is basically looking for the Marauder's Map, trying to find it so that he can find Draco, basically, to keep up with Draco. And in the process, throws those lovely chocolate cauldrons he put away that we talked about earlier in his trunk. And they just go flying out. He's just throwing them out of the way. And doesn't even realize that Ron has picked one up and eaten it. Yeah. So Harry's trying to persuade Ron to follow him and was like, Romilda Vane's right this way. It'll be okay. And they come outside and you have Lavender standing outside the, the common room door going like, Oh, Juan Juan, happy birthday! And all this stuff. And he's like, I don't know who you are, but I'm I'm trying to find Romilda Vane. She's in love with me and I'm in love with her type of yeah, a thing. Yeah. And she's like harumph wanders off and harry's like she's taking extra potions classes just follow me you know extra potion lessons would be right there in no time just to persuade him to like follow him and he's like oh goody goody here we go like follows him all the way to potions so that slughorn can give him an antidote yeah and slughorn's like you know the longer that those potions exist the more potent they become and i'm like that feels like a very dangerous thing to tell anybody ever like I think it's more dangerous if they don't know. I guess to an extent, yeah. But before leaving Slughorn's office, he decides to open up some really high quality meat and share it with Ron and Harry. But he's giving a toast about, like, before they drink it. And Ron's just like, bottoms up. (laughs) And it just goes from bad to worse for Ron for his birthday. Um, Because now he's been poisoned. Yeah. Accidentally, but still. And he goes flying into the air and is foaming from the mouth. Uh, and then Harry goes running over to grab a bezoar and throw it in his mouth, basically to absorb the poison to an extent where, like... Well, because Slughorn just freezes. Yeah. Which, I mean, that speaks to his character, for sure. But yeah, that was... I felt so bad for Ron. It goes from a bad day to a much, much worse day for Ron yeah. on his birthday. And on a day that it's supposed to be celebrations and enjoying himself. Mm-hmm. Probably now, making out with Lavender some more, you know? How many Weasleys has Harry saved at this point? Almost all of them. Well, at least three of them. And he gave a bunch of gold to two other ones. Right. So it's like, man, that family really owes you a lot. Yeah. The next chapter we start off with Ron being in the hospital wing. Yeah. Completely passed out. <laughs> Go figure. After being poisoned, you don't just recover immediately. It wears you out a little bit. Yeah. I think it's funny that for a while he's completely ignoring Lavender, though. She comes in, he's just pretending to be asleep. And she's like, he's just always asleep whenever I'm in there. 
how do you get any time with him? And she starts getting mad because she finds out that Hermione, like, he's waking up to talk to Hermione still. And it's just like, he doesn't want to talk to you. He feels bad about what he did. But at the same time, now he really is just like, I really don't like her that much. Like, yeah. It was just for the kisses. Sounds like a 16-year-old boy. Again. <laughs> Sorry for any 16-year-old boy out there. I take offense on behalf of your yourselves. But yeah, they, they're they there with Hagrid and Ginny points out that the mead was supposed to be given to Dumbledore and the poison was probably meant for him and not for Ron. And it could have been much worse. And I'm like, that's a really rude sister thing to say. Like, could have been worse. That sounds like a sister thing to me. Like, he yeah. survived, he's fine, everything could have been worse. Yeah. But in turn, that means McLoggin is going to get an opportunity to be the new Quidditch keeper. And boy, that Quidditch match. Oof. Right. Like, McLaggen keeps trying to play other positions than goalie, and he can't even keep, or as keeper, and he can't even keep the friggin' quaffle out of his own hoop hoop as it is. So it's like, dude, you have no right to be telling people how else to play. You can't even play yourself. Yeah. So it was ugly, and it only got worse when he decided to grab a bat from one of the beaters and literally drilled Harry in the face. Yep. Then Harry gets to join Ron in the hospital wing. Yeah. How exciting. Uh, he realizes that he's not going to be able to get to his Marauder's map, so how is he going to follow Draco? So he summons Creature, and then in turn, Dobby, who was also following Creature already, was like, oh, here I am too. Well, so, they were in the middle of a fight. Yeah. And, like, Harry has to be super defined about what he wants Creature to do because he knows Creature's going to do anything he possibly can to undermine him and possibly spoil whatever Harry's actually doing because Malfoy is pure blood. So, and we all well, know Creature also- loves pure blood. Also related to the family that Creature is more loyal to. Yeah. That side of the Blacks. Yeah. But are we going to completely ignore the fact that Luna commentated a Quidditch match? Oh my god, how did I forget that? Because that was brilliant. That was hilarious. I love it. That was entertaining to say the least. And then Ron's like, it was one of the most entertaining match commentaries I've ever heard. She needs to do this all the time. And Luna's like, oh, thank you. Like, oh, that's so sweet. Like... It was so funny. God, what did she say about one of them? I, I forget exactly what she said, and that's going to bother me so much. Not going to make this one. I might tweet about it later, just because I can't remember to save my life. But yeah, that that was an interesting Quidditch match, to say the least. Starting in Chapter 20, we have Ginny bringing a note to Harry about the next lesson with Dumbledore again. This is like the uber, uber long one. It stayed really focused on the actual lessons instead of like ramblings. Dumbledore asks Harry if he was able to collect the full memory from Slughorn, and Harry was like, nah, bro, did not have time. Too much going on in my life right now to have had time to really focus around that. And Dumbledore is disappointed. Dumbledore is like, no, you just didn't want to do it. You didn't make it a priority. And it sounds like every manager in every job ever, like, <laughs> you know, like, and it's, it's accurate to an extent, obviously. Like, he was so busy trying to keep tabs on Draco that he really didn't spend the proper amount of time on trying to butter up Slughorn to try to figure out the information as well. But the first lessons around Voldemort, it's kind of history with when he graduated from Hogwarts or was in his last year of Hogwarts, I think is actually when it was. And he was asking the then headmaster if he could come back to Hogwarts as an instructor. All right. Armando Dippet. Yeah. So that was kind of a weird scene. And Armando Dippet was... Basically getting information from all the teachers, like, maybe that's not the wisest decision in the world. And Dumbledore particularly was, like, the one rallying the anti-Tom Riddle or 
Lord Voldemort to come back as an instructor. Again, continues to build up the hate between Voldemort and Dumbledore. Yeah. So that's the thing that continues. But he was offered all sorts of jobs to possibly work in the Ministry of Magic because Slughorn really still liked him overall. Right. He turned all this down to work for Borgen and Burks to collect, more or less, like, manipulate and force people to turn over dark artifacts at, like, good prices, more or less, to Borgen and Burks. And he gets a call one of these days by Hebziba Smith. Hopefully I said that right. Basically, he called him over and was like, listen, I've got these really cool things. Albeit this memory is coming from me her house elf so like i should have set that direction i guess the the thing and so he gets there and she's like bragging about these well-kept family heirlooms like secrets that items that you know are pretty powerful in some way shape or form because they tie back to the original four the founders founders of hogwarts you have the cup that belonged to helga hufflepuff and the locket with Salazar Slytherin's crest on it that was really rightfully his. His mother sold for nothing. And like he goes, Oh, and I bought it from Borgans and or Borgan and Burks and he just kind of had that rage build up in him like, that's my own family's thing. Like I can't believe they ripped my own mother off. You know, like started losing yeah. his temper and stuff. Ends up killing her. We find out later. It's not in the memory, obviously. And implants again a memory in the house elf's mind who immediately fesses up to it like, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I did this. Like I feel so bad for her little house elf. Yeah. So did Harry. Harry was like, now I understand why Spew needs to exist. Yeah. <laughs> in order to steal those two things. And that's all that he ends up taking. And by the time the word murder gets out about it, he's no longer reporting to work and just kind of goes off into the abyss again to be Lord Voldemort doing his own thing. And then you get Dumbledore's memory about Voldemort coming back and asking him for a job to, again, be the defense against the dark arts instructor. And Voldemort, more or less, like, Dumbledore thinks that Voldemort put a curse on that position. And that's why, since then, every year there's a new teacher because they don't last. Yeah. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. That explains it a lot better than Ron's just like, it's just a cursed job. Like, joke. Like, no, it's legitimately cursed. Right. Like, super bad. Then you have Dobby and Creature... Appear in front of Ron, Hermione, and Harry, who have now made up because, you know, Hermione's not evil and hating on Ron for... Also, I believe Ron broke up with Lavender, so she's not mad about that anymore. Right. And so they're all just kind of hanging out, writing paperwork projects and essays and things like that, doing their work for their classes. And Dobby and Creature just randomly appear in the common room at the same time. Well, Creature does, and then technically Dobby's like a split second later. And they more or less break down pretty similar stories. Creature obviously is like being a little nicer about whatever Draco's actually doing. Again, that comes to the family ties to the Black family a little bit more. And Dobby's like, listen, this is actually what he's doing. And they find out that he's been on the seventh floor a lot. Yeah. Uh, Particularly down the hall with the room room of requirement. So Harry starts freaking out about that because Harry's Harry and he obsesses. And so more or less he's just spending all of his time doing that, not doing really anything else but that and classes and that's it and he tries about four or five different ways of trying to get in there and which seem like endless opportunities of attempts with different wordings on how he can get in there to see what actually is being done by draco in the room of requirement because he's like well draco was in there with us the one time so it must be feasible only if you know what he's doing yeah so yeah there's that and then at one point harry tries to run into the wall while basically ron and a majority of his classmates are off getting apparition lessons again in Hogsmeade 
this time. He runs directly at the wall, hoping it will just open and hurts himself. And in turn, the invisibility cloak falls off. And then really super depressed Tonks shows up. Like, I I feel so bad for her right now. Like, right. I don't know what's going on, but I feel bad for her. And it's awful. She's having a hard time. Yeah. And more or less, like, that's the important stuff that goes on. Harry obviously explains that Tonks was there to Ron and Hermione and, like, the condition she's in. But that's pretty much where it wraps up for my reading so far this week. I'm really excited to get to the end of this book. Kind of like you, I like it, but it's definitely not one of my favorites. Like, I feel like I'm ready to just move on to the last book and wrap this bad boy up as Mamma Jamba. Once you start reading that next book, we'll have to discuss our plan from there because do I make you only read half the book and then show you the first movie and then have you read the second half and watch the second movie? Because there are two movies for the seventh. Probably. I feel like that makes the most sense. Right. But first you have to finish this one, which is what you'll be doing next week. Yep. I'm excited. But yeah, again, enjoyed it, but didn't wow me. Yeah, I feel like that's the way most people feel about this book, but a lot of groundwork stuff gets laid out. But uh, I think that pretty much wraps up the book stuff, unless you have something else, of course. You always ask, no, I never have anything else. Again, me being polite. So we'll catch you next week, guys. Make sure you check out all of the social media, which will be linked in the show notes. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.